for those of you that don't have a county map at home, um, I'll make sure that Tracy puts the uh, directions to the food bank or the food grains harvest in the newsletter for you, um, just in case you don't want to drive down the red trail and get lost, but we will make sure that that is posted through the church as well. Um, And feel free if you have questions about that to to contact Tracy at the office or um, to contact Hal directly as well. This morning, we are starting a a new series on the book of Ephesians, and uh, I'm, I'm excited to be able to spend the next several weeks uh, in this letter that Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Uh, I think for these next few weeks, uh, this book is full of, of great encouragement uh, and instruction for every individual believer, but I think also for us as a church. Uh, where we are right now in a time of transition, uh, I think it'll have lots for us as individual believers, but also as a church family. So I'm excited to spend some time um, in here this morning. And over the next few weeks. So I would invite you this morning to turn to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1 to 14. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. If I was to ask you, how would somebody define your identity? What do you think people would say? When I, was a, when I was a child, uh, my identity was found in probably the things that I enjoy doing or in um, the shows that I watch. For, for a period of my life, my identity was probably found as much in the Ninja Turtles as, as anything else. Um, if you go in my office, you'll see little, little figureheads of all the Ninja Turtles that my friend Ryan has bought me um, from his doll collection. And, uh, and uh, so... It's always been a big part of my identity. As I grew up, sports became a big part of my identity. Soccer, particularly, uh, was the sport that I chose and I loved, and as well as hockey. Um, and, and we have these things as we continue to grow, but then something happened when I was a teenager and my identity changed when I came to know the Lord. How would other people describe you? How would your identity be defined by other people around you, at work or school, in your own family, your colleagues? How would they see you? Do people see you by your interests, your humor, 
maybe the, the clothes or the jewelry or accessories that you wear, is that something that maybe defines you, how you look? Would it be your personality or your attitude and how you treat people? Maybe your wealth or lack thereof. Do they see you just because of the job that you have and that's your identity or the things that you volunteer in? For some people in this community, I'm the, I'm the soccer guy. That's how they know me. They call me the soccer guy because um, I'm involved with the soccer board in town. Do they see you by how you treat others? Your wife, your kids, your friends. How about how you see yourself? How would you define your identity? Is it by how these others would see you? Is it through your own insecurities? Is it by the material things that you have? Maybe it's by how, what you see in the mirror each day. Maybe it's defined by a scale or what's in your bank account. Or do you see yourself through the interests and hobbies that you might have? How is it that you see yourself? Our identity is a big deal. If we take a second to think about that, how we see ourselves and how others sees us matters. You might say to me, and I've had so many other believers say, I don't care how people think of me. That's really self-righteous of you. Um, Because here's the deal. You still shower. You obviously care. You get dressed. You don't go into your closet in the morning and go, where's the ugliest clothes that I can wear today? Right? That's, that's not how we work. That doesn't mean that we're, we're dressing to impress people. It doesn't mean that we're, you know, when we shower and take care of ourselves, we're trying to be fragrant so people would notice us. But we do care about taking care of ourselves. So we do care about what others think. We care about the things that we say and that we do. What others think about us and even what we think about ourselves matters deeply. Now, I was a youth pastor for 10 years and identity is a big part of the conversations that we always have with young people. But it's also a big part of our adult lives as well. So how do we sort out our identity? Unmistakably, we want our identities to be found in God. Or at least my hope is that that's your desire. But how do we know that we are doing well at that? One of the easiest ways to sort out our identity is to look at what you and I worship. You and I are created to worship. And it's clear that our re- this is our reality because all of us, when we think about it, we already worship things. We can't help it. It's who we are. The question is not do we worship, but what we worship. In the church, we often will worship down to singing and praying. And though these are important aspects of worship, they in themselves are not worship alone. Worship is much bigger. It's much more whole to our existence, to who we are. And all we have to do is look around at our world and things around us in our town, in our families, in our colleagues, in our friends, and we can see expressions of praise all around us. Praise for our favorite bands or musicians. Praise for our favorite sports teams, movies, and TV shows. And some of you may laugh at these examples, but bands and musicians for decades have been worshipped. I mean, when you look at documentaries, even as far back as bands like the Beatles, the Beatles were not just people had fans. There was like, it was like a cult following. The Rolling Stones was similar to that, and we still have musicians like that today. Sports like soccer and rugby and football are idolized around the world. Soccer and rugby, not so much in North America, but football is like a religion in the States. 
People move their entire schedules around, their entire lives around, so that they can watch on Sunday. And they're just fans. These aren't people who are participating in the sport or of kids in the sport. It's just fanfare. We are great at praise. We are people of praise. We praise restaurants for a great meal. We like to share our favorite coffee shops and, and praise a, a good coffee. We, we praise things that we love that we find when we shop or a good store at the mall. One of the things we love to praise is when we get a good deal on something. Right? I won't mention any names. But you all know who you are. As a humans, we have no problem expressing praise. And because of this, we are also excellent at taking amazing things in creation. The food we eat, our work, our money, our relationships, sex, and substituting them for the creator and redeeming, redeemer, thus committing idolatry. Our identity is closely related to what we worship, and we cannot deny it. So if identity is rooted in worship, in what ways can we keep our identity rooted in Christ? Before we begin this morning, our our text this morning is all about worship. As we read it, I hope you've seen that, that Paul is expressing a time of worship. And I want to make this really clear before we dive in, because there's some words that are going to come up that have distracted the church and theologians, and they've bickered about them for hundreds of years. And those words are the words of election and predestination, and these concepts, which, which are good things, and we're going to talk about them, and they're going to help us understand more of how we worship and our relationship to God, but they are not the point of this section of Scripture. It's not about predestination, and it's not about election. Some would tell you that it is, but that would be lazy hermeneutics. That would be hermeneutics that isn't looking at the original intent of what Paul's desire is. Because Paul's desire is to express worship to God. And the reason that this section is so clearly about worship is found in the original language. When you look at the Greek, Paul starts in verse 3 with just a general sentence, beginning with praise and continues with phrase after phrase after phrase after phrase that touches on redemptive themes without stopping for a period all the way to verse 14 where he then ends with praise. When you look at this in the original language, this is a 202 word run on sentence. So just imagine Paul writing this and he is trying to spit out as much stuff to show the glory and magnificent of, magnificence of God to the people of Ephesus. That's how he's writing this. He's writing fast and furious to get this all out so they would, might understand the greatness of God, why he should be praised and worshipped. And so this passage oozes worship. So please remember that as we jump in this morning. In verse 3 to 6, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love he predestined us for the adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the Beloved. The church in Ephesus is a massive city at this time. It's probably the fourth to fifth biggest city in the world. 
It's an important port city in the Roman Empire. There would have been a ton of travel um, and people from all ethnicities that would have spent time around Ephesus. We know that this city is a place that Paul spent a long time in ministry. One of the longest days, his longest day was in Ephesus. It also housed the Temple of Artemis, which was a place of worship in one of the seven ancient wonders of the world. Uh, And so Paul writes this um, rooted in worship to a city that was known for worship. There's no mistake in that. As I mentioned before, Paul begins this section, verse 3 to 6, with this phrase, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. He then lists, over the next couple verses, several realities of what these blessings are. You and I, we are chosen before the foundation of the world so that we may be holy and blameless before him. This can only happen through Christ's sacrifice for us. In love, he has predestined us into adoption. And this has been done to the praise and his glorious grace so that we may praise him. So the first thing we see this morning is that we praise the Father for choosing us. If our identity is found in worship, how can we continue to praise in a way that might help us have our identity rooted in Christ? And it's that we praise the Father for choosing us. In verse 4, we see that God chose us. And in verse 5, we see that he has predestined us. And the idea of God choosing or electing people to display his glory is not new. This isn't new to Paul's writing. The creation account shows that God chose to create the earth. And everything in it, world and man for his glory. He chose Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. He chose the nation of Israel to be an example and a light to the nations. Jesus chose his 12 disciples to follow him, to glorify him, to bear fruit and multiply. The Lord chose Paul on the road to Damascus and he chose you and I. Some get the wrong idea of election. And it seems to cast doubt in some on whether all are welcome to Jesus. Aren't just those that are elected or chosen or predestined welcome to Jesus. But the reality is that all may come. Our invitation to others is come to Jesus and when you come, thank him for drawing you to him. Jesus dies for the sins of the world. All of the sins of the world. Not select sins, not select people. All sin. The weight of sin, all sin, was put upon him on the cross. All are welcome. Others argue that if God chooses people, then why evangelize? Why share our faith at all? God is going to choose people that diminishes our need for doing that. But being chosen doesn't diminish the work of sharing our faith. It should give us great hope that there are people like we were before we were in Christ that need to hear and see the gospel lived out. These people that are being drawn to Jesus, even now, waiting to hear the truth of who he is. And Paul writes in detail about this idea of election in Romans chapter 9 to 11. We don't have time to read those three chapters. But in chapter 10, right in the middle, he also writes about the necessity of evangelism for people to come to faith. And he shares his deep, passionate burden for the lost. Election tells us that all who have come to Christ are here on purpose, but it doesn't change our purpose in being and making disciples. So in moving on, you and I are chosen by the Father before the foundation of the world. And when we hear that in Scripture, we must admit some mystery in that. 
And we must admit some mystery in the doctrine of election and of predestination and this idea of choosing. There is mystery in it. To not admit would be naive and arrogant. There are mysteries in the things of God. Not everything that God does is completely, perfectly described in the world. There's a mystery of who, G, of who God is. And we won't fully understand all of those mysteries before this side of heaven. I was not there at the foundation of the world. But the word says that I was chosen before the foundation of the world. I don't know that whole process. But in this we remember that God is God. And in this mystery we remember that we are not. We are not God. That's kind of the whole point of why we're here. We don't worship God because he's on the same level as us. And though we will continue to grow and know more of God, his character and his ways, we will never fully grasp all of who he is and all of his purposes. This is why we hold to his promises that God is good and he is full of goodness, that he is holy, that he is faithful, and that he is so sovereign over all. So we are chosen, and we are chosen with a purpose. Friends, hear this. To be holy and blameless before the Father. And this can only happen through what Christ has done for each one of us. His sacrifice is what makes us holy and blameless before the Lord. Without that sacrifice, there is no way to be holy and blameless before the Father. So because of this sacrifice of Christ, we are adopted as children of the Father. Meaning that we are deeply loved and cared for as a child should be. What else other than praise can be our response to this? What else could be our response other than praise to being chosen by the creator of the universe and through his plan of salvation, through his son, that we would be adopted as children into his family? And in doing so, we would have a great number in our family, a a great number of new brothers and sisters in Christ. This is the Father's will for each one of us. This is Paul's purpose in these verses, that we may see the deep love and care of the Father towards us, that we might praise Him for what He has done, that we may praise Him for His plan, for His will, and for the fact that we are seen as children of God. Our identity is found in praising the Father for choosing us. In verse 7 to 10, it says, In Him we have redemption through His blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. We see in these verses that we have have redemption in Christ. And that we have revelation because of Jesus, the story of, of his plan. In him. And so the second thing is we praise the Son for redeeming us. We have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, only because of the grace that Jesus gives to us. And he is not cheap with grace, he lavishes it upon you and I. This idea of redemption is important for our worship. It's actually one of the central themes to all of our worship and how we live our lives, but also the things that we sing and we pray about. It's rooted in redemption. Redemption would speak of bringing liberation to something, a freedom to somebody who is captive. 
Our redemption is bought with the most precious price, the, the blood of Christ. That in itself should be something worth our praise. The idea that Jesus would shed his blood for you and I. People he hadn't met at the time. He didn't know something that we didn't deserve and yet he did it. Willingly. Freely. It's important to remember that redemption is not something that we long for. And as Christians sometimes we can live like this. Like we feel this longing shame and guilt for things that are going on. And that we long to be redeemed and forgiven. Redemption is not like us being the Israelites longing for a Messiah. Redemption has come. It is here. It is present. It has happened. We have redemption. My friends, we were slaves. And now our chains are gone. You were imprisoned. And now you are free. You were dead, but now you were alive. With our redemption, Paul also demonstrates this, this great idea of the revelation of Jesus. And these verses talk about that Jesus doesn't simply have this plan of redemption for us through the cross, but there is this redemption for all things. He makes known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time. To unite all things in him. Jesus' plan is to return to redeem all things to him. We praise Jesus for redeeming us. Yes, but also we long for his redemption for this world that is decaying and dying. And his return. Theologian John Sott puts it like this. In the fullness of time, God's two creations, his whole universe And his whole church will be unified under the cosmic Christ who is the supreme head of both. And so we remember the redemption that Christ brings us, but we also know of the redemption that is coming when he returns. We long for both. So we praise the Son for the redemption in which we do not deserve. We praise the Son for his forgiveness of our trespasses, which are many. We praise the Son for His grace, which He lavishes upon you and I. We praise the Son for His plan and purpose for the church and creation. We praise the Son for the promise of His return. Our identity is found in praising the Son for redeeming us. In verse 11 to 14, Paul says, In Him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first hope in Christ might be the praise of his glory. And what Paul means by that is he's saying, we who are the first hope, the Jews in Christ, might be the praise of his glory, but in him you also, Gentiles, when he heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Paul writes that we have an inheritance. And this inheritance is found in the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of this inheritance, until we acquire possession of it. As you dive into the text, Paul does not speak of something that could happen, something that may happen. He speaks in a surety here of something that is sure to happen for those that are in Christ. This inheritance is sure. It is promised. It is faithful. It is steadfast. It is not going anywhere. 
it is sure. If you are in Christ, the Spirit then dwells in you, and since the Spirit dwells in you, this inheritance will be yours. And you can be sure of that. Paul also says in these verses that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. Now a seal in this time was a way that people marked things. They would mark their slaves, their cattle. We still do that with cattle, but they would mark them with these seals. They would put seals on their letters to show authenticity of who wrote this. It was a way of saying, this is mine. These external seals would show where things belonged. Our seal is not external. It is an internal. And Paul confirms this idea in Romans 8 when he says, If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him, God, and that the Spirit himself testifies together with our spirit that we are God's children. As God's children, we are securely sealed by the Spirit until the day of redemption. We have this guarantee in the Spirit of our inheritance. And we look at the Spirit as this down payment of this inheritance, which is really quite backwards how inheritance go. Usually inheritance are like, here's what's left over, but not with God. The inheritance is what's to come. And the Spirit is the down payment of what is to come in full when we enter into the glory of eternity with Him. So third, we praise the Holy Spirit for the assurance that He brings. Now we know from the rest of Scripture that the Spirit's function is great. He is our inheritance. He is our seal of authenticity, our down payment for this inheritance. But He's also our helper. Gospel of John speaks to that at length. He's our empowerment and the gifting of God. Each one of you, regardless of whether you believe it or not, are gifted by God in the gifts of Scripture, the things that Scripture says, so that you may minister for the sake of the gospel. The Spirit is the one who convicts us. When we walk through our day and we, we, we hear those things, we go, mm, I should have said that to that person. Should have encouraged that person. I shouldn't have done that. Shouldn't have said that when that guy cut me off in traffic. That's the Spirit speaking to our heart. Because He consistently leads us to cultivate the fruit of the Spirit in our lives, that character of Christ. And He constantly points you and I to the things of Jesus, endeavoring to always glorify the Son in all that He does. And He desires for us to do the same. Our identity is found in praising the Holy Spirit, for his assurance. It's interesting how Paul writes these verses. In verse 6, he says, to the praise of his glorious grace, referring to what the Father has done for us. In verse 12, he says, to the praise of his glory, referring to what Jesus has done for us. And then in verse 14, he says, to the praise of his glory, in regards to the Holy Spirit. And I believe Paul is doing this intentionally in this letter. For us, for the Ephesians, to see so many reasons why we would praise the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it is the praise and worship of our lives that helps root our identity in God. Paul says this in Romans 12. 
1 to 2. He says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Our worship of God is through how we live our lives. We praise God for all that he is and all that he has done. In doing so, we recognize the great purpose we have in honoring him with our lives. If we want to praise God in a way that helps root our identity in him, we praise God for all that he is, all that he has done. And in doing so, we recognize the great purpose that we have in honoring him with our lives. So friends, remember when you feel you have no purpose or feel the lies that you are unimportant. Remember that you were chosen by the Father. Remember that the creator of the universe, the one who says that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, has purpose for you has plans for you, has things that he has called only you to do for his kingdom, here and now. That regardless of how difficult your circumstances are, or your family is, or your job is, that you're, that in the Father, that you have been brought into a new family. You have a great number of brothers and sisters, and a perfect father. Remember that you are to encourage And live life with those brothers and sisters. And as brothers and sisters, we are to encourage and protect and love our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. To those of you in places of influence in the church. Would you remember that you've been entrusted to lead this family of God. And to love and care for it the way a father would care for it. When you feel lost and shameful, remember that you are redeemed. Remember the grace that Jesus has for you and that it was offered to you at the highest price. When habitual sin tempts you, when the sin that your flesh deeply desires and that you have worked to reject and fight and not see happen in your life, remember that those shackles are broken. When your life seems overwhelming and you shell yourself in, Remember that that prison cell that has locked you away and your fear and your anxiety and that has always felt so cramped and suffocating, it has an open door. When you wrong someone else, remember your deep need for forgiveness. Remember that there was one that forgave you not because you deserved it, but because he was in the business of redeeming and forgiveness. When the world in front of you seems so broken and you don't know what to do, remember that you serve a Savior that has a plan for this creation. When the world is difficult, remember that you were sealed with the Holy Spirit. And though this place is your mission field, it is not your home. When you feel distant from God, 
Know that the same spirit that dwells inside of you is the mark of being found in him. If you feel times of helplessness, remember that God has left you the perfect helper in the spirit. When you feel inadequate, remember the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you and seeks to lead your life. When you are restless in your faith, allow the spirit to lead you into deeper discipline of the faith. Friends, we serve a God who is infinitely worthy of our praise. And I could go on all day of why we should praise him. I haven't even begun to talk about his faithfulness or his goodness If we worship him with our lives, he will become what our identity is rooted in. And others will see us as disciples of Jesus, and we will see ourselves as precious children of God. And this is your identity. So today, as we leave this place, as we wrap up, our identity matters immensely. How would people define your identity? What do people see when they see you at work or with your family or in the things that you do or in the pursuits that you have of things? Remember that hobbies and friends and sports and family, none of those things are wrong. But we have to remember the wickedness of our own heart can quickly turn great things that God has given us into idols. But our identity is not just how people would see you. It is rooted in also how we see ourselves. Friends, we must see ourselves as children of God, as a redeemed people. If we are to have any chance of being the hope of the world, God has called you and I to be his hands and his feet. I don't know why. I don't know why he wants us, but that's what he's chosen. That's his desire. He has belief in that. You are plan A. Each one of you are plan A to reach this community. There's no plan B. He has called you because he has sealed you as a child of God to be found in him for the purpose of building his kingdom. And so that people, as you build the kingdom, might see him in you. And this is an idea, an identity that as a church here at Tabor Free, we must strive for. Individually and corporately. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word and these words of Paul that speak for all of the reasons why we would worship and praise you. Father, you are so good and faithful. And I often don't understand why you would choose me, why you would want to use me for your glory. Even in the midst of my failures and in my weakness and in my shame, Father, you continually lead and guide me to build your kingdom. And that is the desire for each one of your children, that they would be found deeply in who you are, that they would know their identity is in you, and that we would stand on an unshakable rock in that identity. But in that identity, that we would see the the great desire for our lives to worship you and how we live and how we act, how we spend our time, our money, our energy, that we would want to glorify and honor you in all ways, in all things. And that in doing so, in our speech, in our lives, people would see your glory. And they would see that our identity is rooted in you. Father, help us live this way. Empower us with your spirit. 
embolden us with your spirit, knowing that this is not our home, knowing that we are sealed with you in eternity. Father, would you give us the passion and desire to live out this identity, to live lives of worship after you. We pray this in your name. Amen.